Hello and welcome to the Miss Rolling Podcast. As usual, my name is Jacob Staten and as usual, I'm joined by JJ Armstrong. JJ, how are you? I am feeling on top of the world from a forest point of view. We have finally won a game at a great timely manner. Uh, however, I am a bit ill. I've got a bit of the old, what they call man flu, so I apologise that there wasn't a podcast last week for the Liverpool game. That is my fault. I got ill. I apologise, but you just have to put up with my uh, sniffling, droning voice for this episode, but what's new? What about you, Jacob? How are you? I am peachy keen, jelly bean. Thank you. I'm uh, top of the shop. Reforest, anyway. That's... Uh... I think before we slide into discussion of the game, we're going to say apologies again for the, the lack of Liverpool pod. Uh, JJ was ill. Um, we weren't sure that anybody wanted a Forest podcast from a Barry White impersonator. Um, very briefly on the game, I think if we're being honest, it's exactly probably what we expected. I think Matt Turner's mistake was a probably the really only key point to take out of which leads us nicely, JJ, into the Aston Villa starting eleven. Yes, so there were three changes for the starting lineup. Toffolo came in for Aurier. Uh, Taiwo is back in the lineup, and the big news, as you just mentioned, is Turner was dropped for Vlakadimos Odysseus. What a name! Um, very excited by this starting eleven, and I think it gave me the ambition of looking forward to this game and thinking, you know what, actually, this is it. This We can get something from this. My predicted 11 didn't stray too far from it, but I just thought this all made sense and I expected Bolly to be included just because he always is. But I really liked the idea of seeing Neocarte and Murillo next to each other for a, a bit, of, bit of pace to combat Watkins and obviously seeing what Mr. Odysseus Vlacodemos has to offer. So the starting 11, you know... Hit, ticked all the right boxes I was very excited what about you I, absolutely the same um, I was very pleased to see uh, Olaena uh, included um, I think I was personally surprised by how happy I felt that Toffolo was included I think he's been pretty pretty decent um, lately uh, the midfield three and the front three just you know glad to see them all stick into it um, I think if he was fit probably play Callum hudson Doyle instead of Alanga but I'm, I'm nitpicking there Obviously, it wasn't possible. Lovely to see Niakate back. Um, him and Murillo. And I suppose we'll discuss this as well, but I think exactly what I had hoped would happen of those two playing together did happen. Um, and Vlakadimos, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to lie and say I've watched him play, but from what I've heard, this, this is, this is. I can't, I can't see him being unseated for the rest of the season now. Yeah, I think a, a, a point on the starting eleven is the bench does look slightly defensive purely because that's the options available to us. So you're sort yeah. of thinking if we need a creative spark uh, or an attacking threat off the bench, then largely at the minute due to injuries, that isn't possible. Um, but obviously we'll go to we'll go on and it didn't affect us too much, but that was my only really small concern when looking at the, the squad. Yeah, yeah. Which... Takes us to the start of the game, which where, where there was the minute silence for Remembrance Sunday, because I think this is our that was our last home game before the eleventh, wasn't it? So um, that's why we had the bugle and the minute silence. Lovely touch from not just the Forest players, but also from the Villa players after the the young lad. I don't know, maybe ran out of 
oxygen or whatever it was towards the end of his thing. I, to be honest, I thought he was doing awesome. I, I don't really understand why we play that during a minute silence because not a minute silence, but irrelevant. Um, yeah, it's just a lovely touch by both sets of players to you know just give up you know a little bit of a bit of a cuddle after what happened because the absolute John Stones on him to get up in front, get up there and do that. We've just a t-shirt on as well, the the nutter. Oh yeah, I mean in front of thirty thousand people, fair play. Um, <clears throat> I didn't re- I didn't know if it was a mess up or not because when has the bugle ever sounded good? Um, but fair play to the lad. Um, for getting up there and, and going for it, and a really, a really classy touch from Mister Cooper, uh, the just greatest manager ever. Yes, I've got an agenda on that, but the classy touch for him to invite the the kid to the training ground and let him know that the club, the coaches, the players, the fans, everyone's behind him, and he hasn't let anyone down like he thought he did. Just a very, very classy individual. So. A nice positive thing all all around there. It's just good to see because you don't always get that. Yeah, and also I suppose shout out to Forrest as well for letting the young lad let young lad do that. I imagine there's a temptation just to say we'll get a you know seasoned bugle player. Shall we? Things I never thought I'd say seasoned blue seasoned bugle player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to, to, you know to give a, a young lad the shot, fair fair play to the club as well. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, so into the start of the game and and. I don't think anybody will disagree with the fact that we started extremely brightly. We're winning the ball up high up the pitch. Um, I think that that midfield, the way, the way that midfield three pushes in between the front three, I, I, and it balance. I, I, I try to describe it's like almost like an asymmetrical balance of they they our front three kind of marks them out, and then the the three in behind kind of press and and pivot. It's, it's it was really really good to see. Um, which which led us on the counter to the goal, didn't it? Yeah. Sometimes in Forest games, I typically view like the first five to ten minutes as a feeler for how the rest of the game's going to go. And I know mm-hmm. that isn't always the rule, but it's typically what what I do with Forest. I get a good impression what's going to happen from from the way we start. And the way we started, you just felt the atmosphere and the vibes were there. Like in the ground, the ground sounded lovely. Um the players looked up for it. There was a bit of electricity to it. It just felt like the vibes were there. And I I was already a bit happy about the starting eleven. So the fact that we was playing some uh, compelling front foot football, um, not sitting back and giving a lot of respect to a team like Villa who are flying at the minute, was lovely to see. And the build-up, particularly for this first goal, was lovely uh, down the left-hand side. And I actually thought that Toffolo had miskicked the ball. Um, but he hadn't. It looked like he'd placed it lovely for um, Aina, and it was one of those where time stood still. You thought if he if he hits this right, you know this is going to be a beauty, and yep. it it went in. It was beautiful, and I'm really pleased it was Ola Aina that got it because I think he deserves something to show what a fantastic player and attribute he's been to the squad, especially given the fact he was a free transfer. So. Lovely yeah. first goal and unexpected for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then there's a there's a number of offside calls because you know I think it's fair to say that Villa Villa are kind of out there on their own this season with the they play um, straight straightforward classic 1990s four four two with a really high press so that there's there you know there can be room to get in behind and we we exploited this really well especially out throughout the first half. Um, and if it wasn't for 
you know, I think there were a couple of decisions where we were offside and a couple of decisions where the lino couldn't keep up with play. Um, he clearly didn't look fit enough, in my opinion. But that's you know that's kind of by the by. But there was some of them were just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think. I mean, the high line is weird, but fair play to them for being so like resolute and sticking to it. It showed that that was an element of weakness we could exploit, and we very nearly did a lot of times, and we did a few times. However, it was wrongly flagged offside. Um, it seemed like quite an obvious point to just get the ball in behind and use our. Uh, pace to just get behind them and it and it worked peach but it just felt to me like every minute there was an offside which when you look back at it I think there was only like nine offsides in total in the game but it felt to me like about 50 um, yeah I'd one thing I just don't understand about this offside thing and you can put this down to moaning or whatever but if you remember in the first half Ollie Watkins was so visibly and clearly offside but play was allowed to carry on he passed the ball, Villa whipped a ball in, Cash missed it at the near post, offside flag went up. They were allowed to develop that chance and I guess if something happened, if Cash scored that goal, it would be looked at in VR and VR would say, that's offside. For us, there was a chance where um, Taiwo was through and it was flagged straight away. They wasn't allowed to move on and had it been allowed to develop and we'd had scored from that situation, I think VAR would have come back and looked at it, and what they showed on screen was it was onside. Just a lack of consistency for me there, in that one element you can just allow play to develop, and it's fine, and then for us, it was just straight up flagged, and that was it. I, 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 I don't know for certain, but I think what actually helped Villa in, that, in those, because he did obviously did help Villa in the situation, is the high line. So, you got the Watkins one. The offside was actually quite far into our into our half, wasn't it? So you, there, there's a possible chance to develop. That's why they let it run on. If you think about the the, the one that you're on about the tie, one, I think there was a Nico Dominguez one as well, wasn't there? Um, it was almost on the halfway line. And I'm not saying this is right. I'm just thinking the the linesman and the referee are going. This is so far from goal. Let's flag now because it might take longer for a chance to spawn. I guess. Um, and then if, say, something happened and a player got injured and it turns out they were offside, you know, it gets a bit messy. Yeah. But the fact that he was onside and it was a wrong decision gets a bit frustrating and possibly needs... The whole thing just needs to be automated, let's face it. but That is an interesting point around the, the offside running on, around players getting injured. Because I've thought that for years of, you know... The, but I've never actually, funnily, oddly enough, I'm, I don't think I've ever seen a player get injured when an offside's runner. I'm not saying it won't happen, but if anybody's seen it, please add a comment because I, in my head, it's one of those things of like, I always remember Michael Owen when I was a kid because he always used to pop his hamstrings, didn't he? He'd, he'd be good flying through on goal off the shoulder of the last man and his hamstring would just pop and it like he'd been shot by a sniper. That's just always what sticks in my head of like, that, that's going to happen one day. I'm just surprised it hasn't already. Well, Taiwo has just come back from injury, so maybe he's doing him a favour. <laughs> Keep your hamstrings intact, pal. Uh, and if yeah. anyone's going to injure themselves, it is Taiwo because he's probably going to end up tackling himself somehow. But uh, yeah. yeah, just the offside thing in general just felt very, very frustrating. And obviously there was the, just before the end of the first half, there was this potential yeah. penalty, which also included an offside call. And the referee looked like he was going to point to the spot, wanted to give a penalty but then gave offside and it all just gets very confusing and who knows. But the offside thing was frustrating. It felt a lot. Yeah, I think with that penalty as well, I think I think what didn't help was when they, when 
Tyro got fouled and he was fouled. I don't think anybody would argue that if it was onside, it would be a penalty. It, the weird thing for me was that the referee didn't give a penalty to wait to, for them to go back and check for offside. He just gave the offside. So I don't really know why they were checking for a penalty. That makes sense because they've already given the offside decision, which I, I know you check for penalties anyway, but if they've given the offside decision, they wouldn't overrule an offside decision for being wrong, if that makes sense. Well, this is where it, this is where it comes that, down to clear and obvious and lack of communication and well, I think I think because they'd already given the because you know you watch it back, he clearly doesn't give a penalty; he gives offside because he does that or whatever. I think that makes them then two separate instances rather than one continuous one, uh, which is why I was very surprised when they actually checked for a penalty. And then they drew the line for the offside for the penalty, and if that line's straight, because I, I yeah I completely I completely understand that the grass that the lines in the grass. Um, may not be straight and that kind of thing, but the way that line was compared to the the the, the center line of the pitch, uh, the, the, surely the pitch isn't a rectangle. If that's the case. The the, pers- right? the perspective looked wrong to me. It, it maybe he was slightly off, so it was a bit of a mute point. But I just think, in general, some better discussion on like why this is happening and a bit of clarity because you're just led to be frustrated watching it and in the ground. In the ground, you're not going to have a clue what's going on. So, um, yeah, yeah, a, a painful. Yeah, I, I know it's a, painful. I know it's a completely different sport and a completely different environment because it's indoor. But I was watching that um, that absolute freak of a player for, uh, in the NBA, that Wilmer Manyama, who's seven foot four. It's it's frightening, but it, interesting in the NBA when they overturn a decision that the umpire, literally, or the referee, or whatever his name is, literally has to go to a microphone on the stand, look down down a camera, and say it was this. They've challenged it. We've actually seen it's this. We've changed the decision to this. And for the little understanding that I have for basketball, I was like, Jesus Christ, that works so well because he's literally just got to go. There's no, there's no animosity or anything like that. He just goes down the camera and says, it, it, we called this. They challenged it. It's, we've seen it. It's now this. This is the decision. And it just worked. I just think that kind of clarity would really work well in football. Yeah, and I would love to... With with the referee speaking into a special mic on pitch side, I'd love to hear what what the microphone picks up as well. So that could be fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Some very angry fans. Yeah, and then obviously, I think at the end of the first half, I think everybody's. I think there's probably a borderline, a little bit of frustration. We're not further ahead, but I, I think it, all in all, I think it's probably one of the strongest halves we've had in the Premier League, isn't it? Definitely. Um, t- typically, I I would identify Forest as never having two good halves. And I think, as we'll go on to discuss, this was an exception to that rule. Um, I, I, you can't ask for much more in the first half. I mean, what was the stat that I sent you earlier, Jacob, that Villa have 22 points in their first 10 games so far this season, which is their best start to a league season since 98-99. So mm-hmm. they're absolutely flying. If they won, they'd have gone third, I believe. And yes. in the form table since Unai Emery t- took over... Um, I think they're either between City and Arsenal or just after City and Arsenal. They're very close in the form table. They're one of the best teams in the league since Unai Emery took over. So largely, we should expect to just not win this game, right? And I think a lot of Forest fans maybe didn't, particularly after what's happened in recent weeks, if you believe the negativity online. That first half was exceptional, I think, and it showed that we'd got the tactics right, we got the personnel right. And it was just exciting to see. And for a platform to build on for a second half, I don't think you could ask for much more because you can see the areas in which we're going to triumph. And you can see yep. that 
on this day it looks like it's one of those special forest days where we're just resilient in defending which obviously the city ground is a fortress you look at the stats of how few we've lost there but yeah it was an exceptional first half and it was a shame actually to see Villa make the change to take Zaniolo off I think he's called um, because I think he was getting absolutely bullied um, and we was exploiting that so yeah as far as first half goes my mood at half time were let's just please hold on to this because it was exceptional yeah absolutely Uh, felt exactly the same um I don't even think I was that frustrated by not going in more up. I think it's very easy to, to to fall down that that rabbit hole, isn't it? Yeah, but, I did, yeah. I, we didn't shouldn't really expect to be up, and that's not me being like a negative. There'll be people out there saying you should never think like that, which I guess is true. But when you boil it down to just on paper and statistics, you know it's mm. a fact that they are a very good side. So just being one nil up allows us that platform to build on and take some points from the game. So. Yeah. I know we could have got more, but either way, I was just happy to be one up rather than none up or losing. <laughs> none up. <laughs> absolutely. So into the second half then, and uh, again, we fly absolutely fly out the gates and Oral Mangala unleashes an absolute rocket at Emi Martinez, who I, I don't really understand how he's done what he's done, but he's done it. Um, he goes with one hand to palm it, maybe over the bar? And because it's only one hand, it's a weaker hand and it's kind of flown up into the air and, and kind of flown over the line and he's he's managed to get kind of behind it, but it's clearly over the line. And it was a it was a peculiar one, really, really peculiar, because I was a bit I, when I didn't realise it had gone over the line, I was a bit disappointed nobody was following it in, <clears throat> as in Taiwo. But yeah, I it, it, just a, a wonderful shot, but a, a, I think it has to go down as a as a howler, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's a bit of both and before that, I thought it was really patient play. I think it was Dominguez and Taiwo. I think Taiwo held up the ball a bit, but mm. we were patient in getting the ball and recycling it and getting it to Mangala. And what I like about this is, yes, you could sort of put it down to being a howler, but in this, in those circumstances, if you're willing to shoot, you force your own luck there. And you can't get that luck or force a howler unless you have a go. And I feel like we rarely take like shots from outside the box I think it's a, a point of frustration that I just wish we hit a few more and and hoped um, which the both of these were outside the box so Aina's first and Mangala's and they paid off and bizarre I don't know if he's trying to do a lovely little save for the cameras but the obviously one hand wasn't enough bounces in um, and I think it was maybe more exciting that it it wasn't clear if it was in or not and then the referee blew and cue pandemonium and obviously difficult to say this after what happened against Luton, but I thought with Steve Cooper being the way he is and constantly learning, once we've got a two-goal cushion and platform, I can't see us throwing it away the same way we did against Luton. So I just thought I felt at ease and I felt good and we deserved a second goal after our efforts in the first and after how brightly we started in the second. We deserved it. Again, fantastic to see Mangala he deserves yep. um, a, an outcome for the great work that he's put in. Interestingly, uh, there was the 47 minutes clap for the Panthers player, Johnson, same time, um, yeah. at the exact same time. So a perfect uh, tribute for that. So, yeah, just all in all, brilliant, uh, great, great shot. I think, was it Toflo that gave had another assist? Uh, Toflo, another assist, yeah. 
what a player. So yeah, brilliant. Yeah, um, and I think kind of the next real talking point in the second half is we start to make some changes, and obviously I think we've identified that this is where the the kind of the downfall against Luton started to happen, didn't it? Where you look at and and you see where it happened, but I think with Aurier coming on for the Toffolo and obviously Ayana swapping back to left back. I'm only presuming it's because Toffolo hasn't played a lot of football. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those changes you kind of go, what what a what a great great change that is to have, isn't it? On the on the, you know an international right back to bring on to to, to change that up. Um, I think it's worth worth mentioning as well that you know Toffolo, for all intents and purposes, is probably a player you look at that isn't like a bells and whistles type player like he's not someone you look at that's you're incredibly excited to be mm. in that starting 11 but I think we should be because this season in particular he's been brilliant um, when he's come into the squad after being you could say frozen out but obviously that sounds more dramatic than what it was but when he didn't have a place in the squad you could quite easily you know not take his chance or just feel a bit aggrieved but what he did instead yeah. was make his case and make it the fact that this is his position to lose which i think's brilliant and i'm really impressed by his character uh, and and sort of tenacity and willingness to put everything in for the side so i just think a special mention to toffolo for his efforts is required here yeah 100 um and then the next change was danilo for a one year. So I think this you highlighted it earlier, JJ. We didn't have a lot of attacking options on the bench, as in none. <laughs> uh with Alanga going up top, didn't he? Uh, which I completely get. I think again I said yesterday, I think this starting eleven is is the one, you know, that, that they they all need to play the next game. But I think if if anything, if we were away, I can't remember what the next game is, so apologies for that. But West oh, it's West Ham, isn't it? I think, you know, a, a shout could be for Danilo to take Alanga's place as the kind of second winger slash attacking midfielder. Yeah, great. Obviously, great to see Danilo back. I think Taiwo, obviously, you know, he can only do a certain few minutes after being injured, but uh, he makes a difference to this team. Uh, yep. A massive, massive difference. And it's clear to see. And just obviously, it didn't pay off and he was offside a lot of times, but having that constant threat was was needed and his ability to just hold the ball up and bring others back into play and be patient with it in the box you know he made all the right decisions so again I think a great tower performance regardless of the fact that there was no like attacking returns but you know Danilo back that can only strengthen our bench and having tower back from injury now having Danilo back from injury we're starting to get that bench a little bit stronger there's obviously a few more still to come back but it was very lovely to see Danilo come back. And I think what it in turn did as well is liven up the crowd again because yeah. there's obviously that fantastic Danilo O song, um, which seems to invigorate the crowd and you could hear them shouting it and singing it loud as soon as he came on. So he's obviously a fan favourite, a bit of a cult hero. And I think he just provided that spark of, of atmosphere, if not anything else, but obviously a very energetic introduction for him as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we're followed by uh, Neko Williams or Nico Williams for Olaina coming on at left back. I think Nico Williams, whilst he hasn't set the world on fire since joining us for a lot of money last season, I think he's a great, a great backup to having that kind of situation, especially because he can also play as that kind of defensive winger as well. 
And we also saw Ryan Yates come on for Nico Dominguez, which I find, I find it interesting that Dominguez hasn't finished a game yet, has he? I didn't, um, didn't realise Get up to speed with the Premier League, but yeah, having Ryan Yates is is to, to close out a game like that is 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 wonderful. Yeah, Nico Williams in particular, or Nico Williams. Um, what is it? Which one is it? Uh, I only say Neko because the, the the only person I know who's Welsh says Neko. Right, Williams came on and it was the perfect subs performance. He was fantastic, and. You talk about next man up, or Steve Cooper talks about next man up, and that is evidence of that. And I think he did brilliant when he came on. The yep. perfect substitute performance. Ryan Yates does what Ryan Yates does best. Disrupts, annoys people, wins free kicks, gives some things away. So uh, I thought he was he was great as well. I, I love Ryan Yates. Um, what we need to talk about, Jacob, is Aina and Dominguez in particular and talk about their performance because they were fantastic yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. I think Ola Aina kind of I knew he was a I knew he was very good defensively. I think if you you can find it online where basically Eden Hazard I can't remember who the Chelsea manager at the time was, but basically said that he had to play because he was the he was the only person who could defend against Hazard in training. Um so I knew he was good defensively and he's shown that, but him it, it was and I said this to you guys yesterday, didn't I, JJ, where it kind of we had a lovely, lovely balance yesterday where Aina and Morgan Gibbs White down the right were kind of like a, a playmaking duo. And then on the left hand side, you had Toflo and Elanga, and they were kind of like more traditional up and down uh, left side. And it just it seemed to work so well. Um, and it was just nice to see. And then obviously, Nicolas Dominguez is just the way he gets around a pitch and knows when to press, when to drop off, and doesn't waste the ball. It was just. We've got a real, real player there, and the way that the both of those are slotting into kind of, especially because if Ian is back and he can play right back, and because you know even like Aurier is fantastic, but he's kind of a little bit injury prone, and I suppose it's the same with Aina. But it's just we, we, that yesterday was our starting eleven, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Ola Aina has been brilliant since he came in. Uh, the fact that he was a free is a brilliant bit of business. Um, yep. So. Yeah, it wasn't like a, a spectacle sign or anything, but he's been one of our uh, best performing players every time he's been on, actually. And, I, yep. and I, I love him. I think he's brilliant. And like I say, really pleased that he got a Premier League goal for us. Dominguez yep. is just exceptional. And what he just seems to be everywhere on the pitch. Like, not yep. only is he battling in midfield, but he's in the box or in around the box making things happen or just fluffing a chance or whatever. Um, He's a he's a great player and his pressing adds a lot to our game and that midfield three is the pillar of our of our yep. squad and people can have their doubts about Sangare but I think Sangare was very good uh, yesterday he's still a little bit slow in behind the pace but that's to be expected given the league he's come from but regardless that midfield three is just it for me and what Dominguez and what Sangare allow Mangala to do. We're really seeing the, the fruits of that labour and Mangala is shining in this midfield three because he's, he's allowed to do the stuff that he's good at. So Dominguez just unlocks the the, the midfield. Uh, exceptional bit of business. Um, obviously, Sangari was the exciting marquee signing for loads of money, but having Aina for free and Dominguez as a swap plus cash for Remer Freuler, superb business. Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenal, well, phenomenal business, isn't it? But 
And I think those two really exemplified the way that the whole team put Cooper's tactics into, into play. You know, that start of we only had 26% possession or whatever it was, it didn't feel like that to me. It really didn't feel like that to me. I'm not saying, I'm not saying we, it should have been 50-50 or anything like that, but it, you know, I think there are ways to control possession and use possession, whether you have it or you don't. And I think we just, we just did it perfectly yesterday. Yeah, and Cooper's post-match interview, he mentioned that he had a lot of gratitude towards the players um, because they uh, stuck to his tactics and the way of playing. Yeah. So, you know, it's a nice way of putting it, like he's grateful for the players for sort of believing in his tactics, which you could look online and see that maybe a few fans aren't quite uh, as, as <laughs> you know, they're not quite backing Cooper as they should, but this is a really timely reminder of why he is so good, how the players have faith in him and how he has faith in the players. And when we click, which this is a great showcase of that, the performance and the result as an outcome is fucking brilliant. So, yeah, Cooper's a goat, just saying. Yeah, and I, I saw somebody on Twitter surmise it really well that if Cooper had to own the Luton 2 all draw, with whichever side of the fence you sit on that, then he also gets to own this 2-0 win against the second most informed team in the country. So, 100%. Yeah. The, the Cooper out brigade was starting to form on the back of Villa made this change and look who they've got in Unai Emery. Now, my sort of rebuttal to that is Unai Emery isn't available or someone akin to him isn't available. But Steve Cooper, the very person you said needs to be replaced by someone like Unai Emery, has just pulled off a bit of a masterclass against him. Yeah. He's forever learning. He's not always going to get it right, but he'll learn from his mistakes. And the narrative of where we sit now is completely different. The 2-2 draw against Luton and the resulting loss against Liverpool left us in, it was either 15th or 16th and people were looking downwards. This one win puts us in 12th and we're allowed to look upwards with a nice, comfortable cushion beneath us. One game in football changes everything and you've got the doom and gloom is saying, that's it, we're getting relegated. Cooper out, bring someone new in. That is such a reactionary thing and like I say, one win, three points, 12th place. What more could you ask for as a Forest fan in their second season? And I get the owners showing ambition and I get we should show ambition as fans that we've got this squad that he's inherited loads of money into. But let's be realistic. It's not an overnight fix. We should not be so, um, I forget the word, entitled to think that yeah. we are deserved something just because we've spent money when it is still our second season. This squad will do well. I think this squad will finish where it should finish, which is around 12th or 13th, and I think we've got enough to do that. But if we survive, that to me is still enough. It's a platform to build on. We sh I just think we shouldn't be so reactionary and just saying Cooper out because he is the right man for the job 100%, and we need to stop being so entitled as a fan base when we're not sixth in our second season. Yeah, 100%. So I'm going to throw a question at you, JJ, because you wrote the agenda for this. Um, so you don't know what the question is, but who was your man of the match? Oh, well, I didn't write that in the agenda, so that's a bastard of a question. Um, I think Nia Carte got it on the day, uh, which I think is fair enough. 
yeah. it's, it's either him or Murillo for me. I think they they were both great at what they did. Uh, they were fantastic in their defending. I think probably near Carte, you would just edge it. Uh, but you could make a case for most of the players that were on that pitch, which I think showcases what a strong performance it was. But for me, probably near Carte. I think that was his best performance in a Forest shirt. I think I probably would have gone for Mangala. Again, you could make a case for Mangala. He was yep. also exceptional. So it's a very difficult one to have. Yep. Uh, Ola Aina and Toflo, also, you could make a case for, as with Dominguez. So yeah, I actually thought as well that Morgan Gibbs White had a really, particularly first half. I thought Morgan Gibbs White had a really good first half as well. I tell you what, I really liked uh, the fact that Morgan Gibbs White was captain. And I think yes. that gives him an extra edge to the game. So I thought he was very good. I thought that was the best Gibbs White performance we've seen in a while. Yeah. I still think. Is not as influential out wide as he is through the middle, but to get that midfield free in the game, I'll swallow it. And he still was effective and he put some great balls through. And if we just timed our offside runs more effectively, I think he would have had about 20 assists. So, yeah, great performance from Giz White. And it's lovely to see him as captain. I think that was a nice decision. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So next Sunday's game is away at West Ham at the Olympic Stadium. Uh, two o'clock kickoff. So I imagine it'll be on Sky? Yes, it should be. Or is it, or is it one of them stupid ones where they've got, it's just two o'clock on Sunday and it's not on TV? Have a look. I'm checking for everyone. Checking for the people, JJ. Uh, it's on TV. So on Sky Sports main event. It's the game. Cool. So, um, West Ham, bit they're in, they're in decent form. Obviously, not having the season they had. Obviously, last season they had a good season with the Europa League or Europa Conference League. Season before they had a good season in the league. Um, I think they're kind of a bit in between both at the minute. They're, they're doing, they are doing pretty well in Europa League and they're doing pretty well in the league. So, I think their fans are pretty happy at the minute. Um, I think going away there. I think I take a draw, JJ. I think I take a one-one. That's what no, I'm going to say. I'm not. I'm not going. I'm going to go for it. Three points. I think um, West Ham are a flattering to deceive. The opposite of that, deceiving to flatter. I don't know. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, you're looking at West Ham. <clears> you're seeing them beat Brighton. You're thinking they've got a bit about them. They drew against Newcastle. Blah blah blah. Um, I think they beat Arsenal in the cup. They're doing really well this season. It's a different West Ham to last season. However, they... Let me just check. The drew against Bournemouth this season. They've lost at home to Everton in the league this season. And they've just lost to Brentford, who we drew against. So, they are there to be gotten at. And I think after that performance uh, of what we've just displayed against Villa, we should go into that game with a lot of confidence. They've lost against Brentford. If I'm correct, they threw away a 2-1 lead to lose 3-2. They've lost uh, at home to Everton, who we know are struggling. Um, So why not be confident and just build on this performance? We're a different team away and we should or could have got more out of Man U, Arsenal, uh, and we did beat Chelsea away. Even City was a, a good performance in that second half. So if we take some of that, our learnings and our confidence from the last game, I think there's a good chance here of an away win, um, which 
let's forget Liverpool ever happened, but this season seems to be a bit more, let's possibly win here rather than just assume we're going to lose because away we're awful. So all in all, all I'm saying is West Ham can be gotten at. It's proved. Uh, it's wouldn't surprise me if they fired on all cylinders and beat us. I would take a point, absolutely, but I'm going to go for a Forest 1-0 win. Oh, I'm going to stick with the one all, and I'm going to leave with this tidbit as well, JJ. Do you know who I'm playing on Thursday night? <sighs> no. They've got a double header at home against Evangelos Marinakis's red and white boys. They've got Olympiacos on Thursday night and then us on Sunday. Beautiful. Marinakis <laughs> could have a bit of a vendetta against West Ham by the end of the week, but let's hope not. Yep. Let's hope he comes out <laughs> both with two victories. Yep. Cool. Well, if you're listening for the first time ever, thank you very much for finding us. We appreciate it. And if you've come back again and again and again and again and again and again, or just again, we love you. You it. You it.